careful what you say because they expect you to deliver it. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And this week, we're doing something a little bit different. What is that, Tony? We're taking a look at what's hopefully the first in a series of some of the people who've worked with Schwarzenegger throughout his career on a number of different occasions. This week, we're starting with Andrew G. Vigna, or Andy Vigna, who founded Carol Co. Productions, which... Uh, ultimately produced a number of Schwarzenegger films. Classics. Yeah, Total Recall, uh, Red Heat, Terminator 2, Terminator 3. I like how you include Red Heat in the classics. <laughs> well, that's the obviously the best four movies they, they produced, all being Schwarzenegger vehicles. They also, they also produced a number of other uh, films, action and non-action films. Now, the reason we're doing uh, Andrew Vigna and maybe not someone a little bit more obvious like uh, James Cameron or Sven Ole Thorsen, who we reference a lot on this uh, sure. podcast. or Paul Verhoeven. Is, uh, sadly, Andy Vanya, he uh, died on January 20th. Due to our recording schedule on this podcast, we were actually trying to do something maybe a little bit more contemporaneous with his death, but uh, better late than never. So we're, we're going to be probably four to six weeks out here. But uh, what we're hoping to do on this episode is maybe just... Go through a little bit of Andy Vanya's uh, professional life in film, uh, talk a little bit about his collaborations with Schwarzenegger, and a little bit about his influence on movies more generally and action movies in particular. Yeah, because he produced some amazing action movies that are iconic and beloved, and we don't really have the opportunity to talk about some of these movies on our normal format show. Like... I think this episode opens up the door and this series will open up the ability for us to kind of talk about movies that we all know and love. They all fall into like the classic action genre, but they don't fall under the Arnold Schwarzenegger umbrella. And so I think this is a really cool entry and especially with a character like Andrew G. Vanya, who was not really known by name. He's someone that I think most people haven't really heard of. Um, but they probably know the Carol Co. logo from, you know, the the three Arnold movies as well as several other movies. Yeah, the other thing we're, we're hoping to maybe do with this episode is, and it's one of the things that I think I've benefited from, from, from doing this podcast, is once you actually take a look at who's behind the scenes in some of these productions, it provides a little bit of context into the movies that Schwarzenegger and others ultimately did and how they were made, and also uh, some movies that we've referenced in our Lost Projects episode, and how those weren't made ultimately. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So listen to that Lost Projects episode we did, I don't know, like five or six episodes ago. Just for some context for a lot of these, we really go into depth on a number of these Caraco projects that just collapsed, and a lot of them sounded really cool. Uh, and so I think that episode is a lot of fun, and we'll just give you a little bit of background as well. Maybe we better get things started here. Uh, so who is Andy Vanya? How do you get a start? Andy Vanya uh, was born yeah, in Hungary, in Budapest, actually, in uh, 1944, right in you know, World War II era. 
And, you know, it was a very tough time to live in Budapest. And he ended up coming to Canada in 1956, shortly after the uh, was it revolution in Hungary was taking place and the Soviets had come in to, I guess, stop it. Is that about right, Tony? That sounds right, yeah, yeah. from what I've read. Yeah, and so he came to Canada and then eventually wound up in the U.S. and basically hopped around a number of jobs that he was phenomenally successful at all of them. Like, he became a hairdresser and then started a wig company and was making, like, millions in wigs. That's right, and then moved on to jeans and ultimately, I think at some point, moved on to uh, photography before breaking his leg in a skiing accident. Yeah, but even like the jeans, they did the first denim jeans under his watch. And it's like, okay. Like the first ones that were like like weathered or whatever, stonewashed or whatever the term is. I don't even know. But the point is this guy was making millions off every enterprise he entered into. It's like, why is it I'm fumbling like an idiot through life? Whereas like Andy Vanya is just like, yeah, I guess I'll be a hairdresser. Now I'm the biggest hairdresser in the world. <laughs> Yeah, he's clearly a talented, one of these multi-talented and driven guys. Yeah, really scrappy. And um, he ultimately left wig making to go, you know, buy up some theaters in the Far East. And that kind of got him into film distribution. And uh, in 1975, he met Mario Cassar, who would become his partner at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, so I guess the the story goes, he and uh, Andy and Mario hit it off and formed uh, Carol Co. by buying a, a defunct Panamanian company's name. Yeah. Uh, according to Cassar, the name has no meaning whatsoever. Yeah, it was called, I think, Panasia Films or something. Something like that. Yeah. And they started this company and in pretty short order starting producing some independent films. But I mean, even Pavor, like they were really producing their own films independently. They were financing films and taking, and, you know, Andy Vanya had like producer credits on, you know, a number of movies, most of them not great. Movies with titles you probably don't know, like, you know, The Amateur or Superstition. But he did do a couple that were noteworthy. He did The Changeling with George C. Scott, which is a really good horror movie. Um, and he also did Victory, which is not a very good movie, but... Um, it was a soccer movie starring Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone, and Stallone would pay off later down the road. I think he started that relationship there. He was an associate co-producer on Victory. And then, you know, they decided to produce themselves out of Carol Co. First Blood. And for a first-time production, these guys clearly knew what they were doing because they everyone thought that they had overpaid for... Stallone at the time they thought they had overpaid for the options to the book but they were developing a, a business model where they would basically bank on these action superstars to and then build the movie around them yeah yeah and so Rambo becomes a big deal for them Vanya's big debut is First Blood as he executive produces that it's a hit however Rambo First Blood Part 2 which is his next producing credit explodes in the Reagan era and that movie is a massive phenomenon and just brings so much cash into Carol Co and suddenly they are real players in the independent film world and just to give an idea of the the shrewdness of uh, both Vanya and Mario Kassar they release Rambo First Blood Part 2 intentionally at the 10th anniversary of the US withdrawal from the Vietnam War right so there's 
automatically a lot of coverage in the press about uh, Vietnam War generally, Vietnam War veterans, the impact that the war has had on people. Uh, and they basically get through the, the news press tons of free advertising for this film. They, they prove themselves over and over again uh, with some exceptions, which we'll get to, to be really marketing geniuses. Oh, big time. I mean, their canny ability to sell a movie doesn't quite work a few years later when they do Rambo 3, and that one's a bit of a disappointment. But these guys definitely have the ability to sell movies, and they're just really bright about getting talent. Yeah, exactly. We gotta take a second and talk about the, these first three Rambo movies. Tony, were the Rambo films like really important for you in your sort of younger action hero days? You know, I know this is a Schwarzenegger podcast, so we don't get a chance to talk about Stallone yeah, yeah. too much unless we're, say, doing The Expendables. But uh, absolutely, the, the Rambo movies, I, I know that Rambo 3 and Rambo 2 are, to some extent, ridiculed and pilloried. <laughs> yeah, uh, more so 3, I think. <laughs> but I, I, I love them. I think they're tons of fun. And uh, I really like the uh, Rambo... I shouldn't call it, everyone calls it Rambo, but First Blood, the first Rambo movie, yeah, uh, was filmed here in British Columbia where That's we right. record this podcast. And if you actually take a little trip down the highway from Vancouver about an hour or two, uh, and you'll find yourself in a little town called Hope. And in Hope, to my knowledge, there's still, uh, to this day, a Rambo museum celebrating what? The, the, the making of that film. You've never been there? No! Oh, we should go one day. Should that be a road trip episode? Yeah, maybe. Maybe we should take it, to strap on the mics and hit the road to Hope. That, and maybe interview people that work there? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it, I don't know what its operation is like. I, I can't <laughs> speak to it. I haven't, I haven't been to it in years. Oh, that'd be gold. But yeah, for me, the Rambo movies were really like a big deal for me. My dad introduced me to the first three, and I loved them i showed them to you know my friends i rewatched them all one of my favorite movie going experiences of all time was i don't know if you i'm sure you do remember tony but when the fourth rambo came out and andy g vanya didn't uh, produce that one but um i think i went to see it with you actually we did there was a so the the new one came out in 2008 however they did a rambo marathon beforehand that's right and so they showed all four of them together and I remember I went with you as well as another friend of, uh, of mine, uh, Tom. And we sat there and we watched all four of them in a row. And I have never heard audience response like we did for those movies. Where the audience cheered for every kill. Uh, even the opening credits. Every name that came up people would be cheering. Every time Troutman gave some big speech about how awesome Rambo is. The audience went nuts. Like, it was one of the most fun things I've ever sat through. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever left a theater more exhausted and desensitized <laughs> to violence. I, if, if I'd seen someone uh, shoot someone with a bow yeah. uh, on the street as I emerged from the theater, I, I probably would have just blinked a couple of times and... <laughs> Moved on to the next sandwich. <laughs> I have never been through a marathon like that again. Like, I've gone to see other marathons. Like, I went and saw the Indiana Jones, you know, all four of those in a row. I've seen, oh boy, just tons of, like, 24-hour film marathons and what have you. But I've never seen anything with the energy of that Rambo screening. And so I really got to give props to Andy G. Vanya for giving me maybe my favorite film-going experience of all time. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, absolutely. And 
Uh, about this time, um, shortly after the Rambo movies were released, he has his first collaboration, or what I should say, Carol Co. has its first collaboration with Schwarzenegger. Uh, and I'm not sure if Schwarzenegger and Stallone knew each other at this point, and, and maybe that's how they made the connection. But Stallone, I guess, was really happy with working with Caracol, really happy working with uh, Andy Vanya and Mario Cassar, and had signed on for a 9 or 10 picture deal with them. Right. And then Schwarzenegger comes on to the uh, the Walter Hill directed film, uh, Red Heat, where he, Schwarzenegger at this time, it's, uh, it's 88, he's a bona fide established action superstar, and he plays alongside James Belushi in the Fish Out of Water gritty cop drama comedy yeah. red heat and you can of course listen to our episode on red heat for a deep dive into that movie and it's a it's an odd choice of a movie for sure it's not one of schwarzenegger's best but it's definitely notable um but it definitely starts a relationship with arnold and uh vanya as well as Cassar, of course um but um you know i don't know that like i really think uh you know under under Carolco, uh, Stallone really found a great character to run with, with those Rambo movies. I don't know that the first um, meeting with Arnold, the first working relationship with Arnold, turned out something that special. However, um, their second go around would be a little stronger. Yeah, that's right. So they they had some non Schwarzenegger, non Stallone vehicles uh, mixed in there, but then in 1990 they partnered up with uh, Paul Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger again, and uh, produced a little film that you may have heard of called Total Recall. Right. Which maybe you people haven't heard about because we haven't done a podcast on it yet. That's, <laughs> but it's out there. <laughs> that's right. And, and for uh, Studio Canal or whoever it is who owns the Carol Co. Library at this point, yeah. uh, by all means, if you want us to promote your films, uh, <laughs> let us know. But yeah, Total Recall comes out in uh, 1990. At the time... These guys had uh, really refined their movie-making style, which was to make these big blockbuster action films, but do it almost as an independent studio. Yeah, were there any, you know, before Total Recall that jump out to you as, you know, notable or movies you really enjoyed? Well, I mean, we've already touched on the three Rambo movies and uh, and and Red Heat, and I know that he, he worked with... Uh, Walter Hill again in Extreme Prejudice and the Nick Nolte yeah. cowboy kind of film. Uh, how about you, Cam? Is there any, any that he did before that? I think there's two that are actually really interesting, which are Johnny Handsome and uh, Angel Heart, both Mickey Rourke uh, projects. When Mickey Rourke was kind of at his young height before he had his comeback later in like 2008 or whatever. But this is at the point where like Mickey Rourke is this really exciting up-and-coming talent. And I haven't seen Johnny Handsome. I've heard great things, but... Um, uh, Angel Heart is crazy. That's an Alan Parker film that is dealing with like the occult and the devil and all that sort of stuff. It's a really like creepy gothic mystery film, film noir really, and with Mickey Rourke as a gumshoe trying to track a, a missing guy down. And it is a really eerie film, and I just can't recommend it enough for people that like dark, weird movies. It's really cool, and you know it's a type of project. That makes sense that an independent company would be willing to make. I don't know that a major studio would have been looking at that one too seriously. But then you look at a movie like Total Recall, which at the time I believe was the most expensive movie ever made. Sure. Uh, with a huge payday at the time 
for Arnold Schwarzenegger pulling in. He was pulling That's in. That's a common theme with Arnold Schwarzenegger, huge paydays. Yeah, and, and they were doing the same thing for Stallone as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they were paying Schwarzenegger 10 to $15 million uh, a picture for a picture like Total Recall. And obviously that movie is uh, a, definitely a Schwarzenegger classic, but probably a, I'd call it a sci-fi classic as well. Big time, big time. Um, definitely one of the great uh, Verhoeven American films. And I look forward to when we actually do a deep dive on that movie later down the road. And this right around this time, because Total Recall was released in 1990, this is really where we start to see, and this is one of the things that Andy Vanya and Mario Kassar were doing better than probably anyone else in Hollywood at the time. So these guys with Andy Vanya, who's uh, Hungarian-born, with connections all around the world coming to Canada and then going to the States, back to Hong Kong. Mario Kassar, uh, Lebanese-born. So these guys have connections all over the place. And they figure around this time that the international market for Hollywood films is seriously undervalued. Right. And, and they have connections with theater owners and distributors and operators all around the world. And they revolutionize the international distribution model big time yeah yeah it is interesting though you know you when you look at like the output around the 90s you've got some really cool stuff like you got you know total recall and jacob's ladder um coming out in the same year it's interesting though those are both 1990 movies and in 1989 uh vanya leaves carolco he sells off his interests for a pretty penny yeah he made i believe 106 million dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So around this time, Andy, Andy Vanya and Mario Kassar and uh, another executive at, at Carol Co, uh, Peter Hoffman, they're having some friction. They're having some falling out. Can you imagine the egos? <laughs> no, I can't actually. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, according to a, an interview with Andy Vanya that I watched, uh, Mario Kassar and Peter Hoffman, they'd had some huge successes around this time. And had signed some big stars, some big directors, and they wanted to turn Carol Co. In, uh, into uh, a full-fledged Hollywood studio instead of the independent model that it had been. Yeah, Andy Vanya believed that they weren't they weren't going to be able to get the financing to do that, and that they would ultimately outgrow themselves. So he sells out for a hundred million and change. Yeah, and uh, goes and and starts his own thing. Yeah, and that, of course, is uh, Synergy, which is aligned with Disney. And, I mean, Synergy is really interesting because, you know, Andy G. Vanya, despite the fact he is, you know, the guy who knows how to get these movies made and everything, really does struggle out of the gate with his company. Where his first major movie out of the Synergy label is Medicine Man. Do you remember that movie, Tony? Yeah, Sean Connery, and uh, I remember the I remember the cover. Anyways, was it Lorraine Bracco? It was. I, I can't remember to be honest, but I think I, so. I definitely remember it was a uh, kind of Last Crusade era Sean Connery. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what he was doing. It may have involved medicine. medicine. <laughs> <laughs> but, Wasn't he in the jungle looking for like some sort of cure to an illness in the plants? Uh, something like that it was uh, a notorious bomb at the time notorious 
And you go, okay, well, but you know what? His next movie was Tombstone, which was also like a creative behind-the-scenes disaster where like Kurt Russell had to direct a good chunk of the movie himself. But I think uh, Tombstone, I think, though, is still held up as one of the the best westerns, certainly of the... I shouldn't say the best westerns. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> yeah. It uh, is definitely uh, a modern classic. Though. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean the hotel chain. I mean how it is relative <laughs> to other western films. And then, uh, and then following that up, they did Renaissance Man as a producer, which Cam, for whatever reason, <laughs> likes to make a lot of... Uh, comments about on this podcast then he teams with bruce willis and you're like bruce willis in like the 1990s he was hot except for when he made the movie color of night <laughs> which was a total total post fatal attraction basic instinct erotic thriller bomb yeah and and don't worry we're not just going to list, list off failures. every movie <laughs> andy vanya has ever done because only the uh, interesting ones yeah Some of them are interesting yeah, but luckily, after Color of Night, he sticks with Bruce Willis and and produces a little film called Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is uh, a huge hit. It's two for the year after Toy Story. Die Hard 3 was a big success story. Tony, are you a fan of Die Hard with a Vengeance? I think it's a fantastic film. I, I love it. It's uh, got a very bizarre third act but yes. the, but, but besides that I, I really like it it's got that mid-90s samuel L. jackson with that uh mid-90s bruce willis and yeah it's, it's a lot of fun do you where do you rank it in in uh, you know competition with the other diehards i'd probably put it uh after one before two and above all of the other ones oh before two that's interesting I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of Die Hard too, to be honest. Is it because it's like Bruce Willis saying, like, "How does the same thing happen to the same guy twice?" A little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've always liked two quite a bit. I, I think for me, three is my third favorite, and that's really only because the uh, finale is so bad. Like, and I've joked about it on the podcast before, so I'm not going to do it again. But like, you can tell that they didn't have an ending. So they just kind of conjured something up. Have Samuel L. Jackson in a helicopter flying, yeah, yeah, yeah. flying around Canada for yeah. not really much reason at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I can, I can forgive it. But anyway, so that obviously brings in tons of money for, for Synergy. It's not like Kassar here is doing so bad either. Schwarzenegger yeah. still working with Carol Coe. Uh, they, of course, do uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Um, no, Tony, did uh, Vanya have any, you know, have his hands in the Terminator 2 project at all? You know, I was trying to track that down because obviously Terminator 2 is 1991. Vanya sells out in 89, but he's still a producer on Total Recall, which is 1990. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, to be honest, not at all clear to me. I've got to think he was still a co-owner of carol co these rights for terminator were going back and forth we've gone over that in terminator and our terminator yeah. 2 episodes my guess is that he was instrumental in buying the rights for terminator 2 right and so he has a certain amount of interest in terminator 2 but he's gone from carol co obviously at that point but i'm guessing in the early development and nailing down all the rights and putting all the pieces into place maybe he's playing something of a role 
Yeah, I, I, I got to imagine that at some point he and Schwarzenegger had a conversation about maybe doing Terminator 2. Yeah. And he probably had something to do with the early stage financing of it as well. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he's ultimately not listed as a producer, but it would be hard to imagine a movie of that scale not having his involvement. For sure. I think where synergy goes wrong, though, is that... When you look at Vanya's triumphs, a lot of it is these big action movies that I think deliver more than you would expect from your usual action movies. Like, a lot of them are really inventive and creative and star-driven in a way that's fun and exciting. But you can definitely tell that at a certain point, Synergy became focused on, like, Oscar movies. And I think that's where you start to see some trouble. Because when you look at where we go from Die Hard, I mean, Judge Dredd comes out the next year, or the same year as Die Hard, and that's a big bomb just in general. Mm -hmm. But from that point forward, it's almost like they got scared, and they start working on movies like, you know, the, well, they have the Demi Moore Scarlet Letter, they have uh, Nixon, which is the Oliver Stone movie, which has huge pedigree, to be fair. Uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins starring in it, but is, a, is kind of a financial dud. And then also Evita in 96, again, a big kind of Oscar push movie with Madonna. I don't know that it was a huge financial success. I think it did okay. I think it did fine enough. But these aren't like the types of movies that really, really keep your your studio afloat or, your, you know, your production company afloat financially. Yeah, and he, he does some other stuff. He works with Antonio Banderas doing the Michael Crichton adaptation, The 13th Warrior. Another yeah. another filmed in BC. That was a bomb movie. It was a bomb. Yeah. I actually quite like the film. Yeah, I thought it was all right. Um, of the Michael Crichton adaptations around that period, it was definitely, I think, a little closer to the positive box for me than the negative. And there was a lot of bad ones. Yeah, I mean, the important thing about it for Andy Vanya's sake is that it was a box office disaster. <laughs> the very true. <laughs> but uh, he did the notoriously terrible, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn which was like a Joel Esterhaus, like written film that he said would like expose the stupidity of Hollywood and then the movie just went nowhere. Yeah, but you know, meanwhile on the other side of the Carol Co deal, you've got Mario Casar who's still making some pretty good movies. Uh obviously Terminator 2 cranks out Basic Instinct and then runs into some trouble itself, which we've gone over in uh in detail on this podcast before produces the double whammy uh all-time worst box office bombs of cutthroat island and showgirls had to sell a lot of rights mm -hmm. to other big name films that they were producing at the time in order to to get the money to make these and these movies just absolutely tank and and this is where we see uh Carol Coe, we've gone over this on the on the Lost Schwarzenegger projects. Uh, they were interested in making a bizarre James Cameron Spider-Man film where yeah. Schwarzenegger was set to play Doctor Octopus. Maybe there's uh, and there was the which we talked at length at our in our Lost Lost Projects episode, uh, the Paul Verhoeven medieval epic crusade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which got fairly far in development and ultimately never happened. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, around this point, Carolco just kind of collapses. But I am curious, with Synergy, Carolco has a legacy. I think it's it's very well known that, like, Carolco mattered, especially for action fans in that period. What do you think when you look at the stable of Synergy films? Like, do you think they had an identity that was interesting? 
Well, there's definitely a a lot of films in there that are still remembered today. Which ones do you like? Uh, I mean, I'm not a huge musical or historical drama fan, but yeah. uh, I mean, Evita is a very competently made yeah. film. Uh, I haven't seen Nixon, but I, I hear good things. I, I watched it just the other night, actually, and that was not in connection with this podcast. It just was randomly. It was a movie I'd had on my shelf for probably like three years or two years. I had a free night. It's three hours plus long, and I thought, you know what? Tonight's the night. And, you know, I think Oliver Stone is a fascinating director. I love JFK. Um, I like Natural Born Killers. I, li- I liked uh, Salvador. I like a lot of his stuff. Nixon is... I think very heavy it's very shakespearean um i think it helps to really 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 have a strong foundation in like american history studies of that period (laughs) but i think it's interesting movie very much so which by the way is a constant problem for uh canadian viewers of american historical drama so i'll just throw it out there i feel like jfk carried me through it though like jfk gave me all the information i needed to carry me through that experience whereas like i felt like nixon I was definitely floundering a bit. Like, I can understand why JFK is a big hit at the box office, but Nixon isn't. Yeah. Uh, I'd actually love to see how an American audience would react to a biopic of John A. McDonald or or Louis Riel or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to get back just for a sec for Judge Dredd. Because we're not going to come back to Judge Dredd probably on the podcast. (laughs) You never know. And Judge Dredd is so notorious because it was this huge star vehicle. I remember like they were really marketing the heck out of the Stallone in Judge Dredd outfit images. And I was, even though I never read Judge Dredd comics, I was actually kind of interested in seeing that movie. And then it just got savaged. But I'm curious, were you excited for that movie and what did you think of it? Yeah, it's one of those movies. I have a little bit of a love-hate relationships with Judge Dredd because uh, I used to read the the Judge Dredd comic, and he, I mean, that was the big thing for the fans of the comic was Judge Dredd never in a million years would take his helmet off. Mm-hmm. But of course, when you're selling a movie on the star vehicle of Sylvester Stallone, it's pretty tough to do it if he's got a bucket over his face the whole time yeah yeah so i can i can understand why they would would do that i thought the movie was pretty middling as an action film yeah. and weak comedically so it's it's kind of a c-grade sci-fi action film for me i don't hate it as much as some people do but it's not one of my all-time favorites yeah i remember it just got critically savaged really badly and so i didn't go see it or anything but i remember yeah, kind of feeling the same way you did of like, well, this is, you know, it is what it is. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't think it was very good. And it's not a movie I could ever imagine myself revisiting unless for some reason I have to for a podcast or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the put it this way, the the synergy era in Andy Vanya's career, uh, I mean, definitely it's nothing to sneeze at. There's some pretty big films here, mm-hmm. but... I don't think it's as compelling a library as the uh, Carol Co. both before and maybe after he he left. We definitely see that, you know, even though, you know, maybe him and Mario uh, Cassar didn't always see eye to eye, there was something magical about the two of them. And maybe as well as Hoffman, who you referenced earlier, you know, maybe something just about that group of people, even though the egos are maybe a little out of control or they butt heads over ideas they still had an eye like they still recognized the potential of projects that maybe you know other studios wouldn't look at yeah you got you get the impression that these guys 
were doing things totally differently than uh, than some of the big studios were, and were taking flyers on projects that uh, a you know a Paramount or an MGM or or a TriStar or whatever just wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole, mm-hmm. and that that these guys were so competent and so driven and so smart that. Uh, and so well connected too that these movies just kind of even if they were missteps like like Judge Dredd or uh, financially questionable or failures like the Thirteenth Warrior that they they still were able to keep going and keep keep the machine turning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's really interesting what kind of happens next, which is that Synergy closes its doors in 1998, uh, three years after Carolco does close its own doors. Um, but then in 2003, he reteams with Kassar to form C2 Pictures, which is pretty much solely to produce Terminator movies well, at, at that point in time. I thought it was to produce I Spy. Well, I Spy is their first production out the door. <laughs> I think T3 was going to be the first, but I think there was complications behind the scenes. And I'll get to that in a sec, but I am very curious. Tony, did you ever see I Spy with Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson? I did. It, uh, yeah. And it was... Uh, Put it this way, I don't think it was very well received at the time. No. With with pretty good reason. I I actually quite like Eddie Murphy as uh, as a comedic actor, and I li- I like Owen Wilson a lot too. But this was not either of their finest movies. They kind of um, the, the, I think the movie suffered maybe from poor direction and maybe a bit of an ambivalent production. It felt very ambivalent and. You know, the thing is, if you're looking for, like, a buddy cop or whatever buddy action movie featuring those actors, watch, you know, 48 Hours and Shanghai Noon. <laughs> <laughs> I Spy was not the uh, ultimate combination of two talents that you hope it would be. Yeah. I actually saw the movie on a date, and, uh, uh <laughs> that's all I got to say on that, I guess. But it's interesting. Terminator 3, this is kind of a bit of a catch-up for the Terminator 3 episode where we talked about that movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger approached Vanya and Kassar um, really with the intention of getting money out of them for his governor campaign. And he wanted to run past them this whole dream he had of becoming governor of California and get their input. Because they were very canny guys who could maybe help him with connections. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of like, huh? This is why you wanted to meet with us? We want to do Terminator 3. (laughs) And Arnold kind of said, well... That's not really on my priority list right now. Um, I want to be governor. And they said, oh, okay, well, we've got kind of an issue here. And I guess Vanya talked to Arnold and said, here's the thing. We got the rights to Terminator 3 with the agreement that we would make a Terminator movie with you. If that doesn't happen, we are going to get sued. In which case, no offense, Arnold, we're going to have to sue you. (laughs) (laughs) and Arnold says it was very friendly like they weren't like threatening him it was more just like we don't have any option because we can't afford this lawsuit (laughs) and so basically Arnold you know after after a short call with his insurer (laughs) (laughs) and so basically Arnold was like uh okay I guess I'll do Terminator 3 now which kind of fills in some gaps because you and I when we talked about Terminator 3 just a few episodes ago we were trying to figure out how much of this movie was like a passion project for Arnold versus how much was just like I can make money off this yeah and we talked a little bit about it on our Terminator 3 episode but you know Schwarzenegger said okay fine I'll do it but 
James Cameron has got to be involved. And James Cameron was like, James Cameron must not be involved. Yeah. So, so uh, James Cameron said, "I'm I'm out." Schwarzenegger said, "Well, I'm not going to do it." Or he went to James Cameron and said, uh, "I feel really bad. I don't I don't want to do this." James Cameron, in some form or another, gave him his blessing, uh, and included in that blessing was, "You should do it, but you should get." as much money as humanly possible out of these guys yeah. and boy did he ever <laughs> uh, you know as much as schwarzenegger and vanya and kassar must have enjoyed working together for all the collaborations they had yeah uh schwarzenegger certainly was not shy about squeezing every ounce <laughs> of money out of out of this project that he could i mean his um his payday on Terminator 3 is one of the most legendary uh, 30 million plus perks contracts of all time and included the usual private jets and private workout rooms and private everything you could, uh, everything that you could imagine. And, you know, Vanya and Kassar paid and like we touched on briefly in our Terminator 3 episode, the movie was profitable, but... Uh, you know the the industry maybe wasn't the same as it had as it was when they were producing First Blood or Rambo Two, but the movie still was profitable. It wasn't the big hit that they were expecting. It made lots of money overseas. Yeah. Um, but the feeling that I think maybe Vanya had at this point, at least if his interviews online are to be believed, is that he he maybe wasn't as passionate about about doing movies in the future as he had been in the past yeah because when you look at like his you know he does basic instinct 2 a couple years later did you ever see basic instinct 2 now carol co did basic instinct 1 um without vanya without vanya but you know vanya's there for basic instinct 2 have you seen that film which i believe had the subtitle risk addiction i i haven't seen it i'm sorry it is terrible like really really terrible uh, and so it's just kind of a bummer. And it, it kind of drives, I think, Andrew Vanya in many ways back to his home country of Hungary, where you really see, you know, the next movies he's making are like passionate movies about his home kind of experience. He does a movie called Children of Glory that he's very proud of. And it's about the revolution in mm -hmm. Hungary. And there's like a, a kind of like a 38-minute interview piece you can see online if you'd like to, where he talks about that film you really get the sense that that guy cares a lot about that movie. Mm -hmm. Like far more so than Basic Instinct 2 or a lot of the other stuff, you know, on his list, even the great stuff. Yeah, and then he, and then after that, he he does a couple other Terminator projects. He He's involved as an executive producer on the TV show, uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I'll confess, I actually haven't seen. I've seen a couple of episodes, but I haven't seen any. So tell me about the couple episodes you watched. Was it was it good? I was interesting, but it was definitely when you go from Terminator Two and Terminator Three, that level of budget mm -hmm. to uh, you know a TV. I think by its nature is a much more deadline and budget oriented medium. Yeah, uh, that you know you're you're as to use the netflix term you're producing content rather than producing cinema and so you know i wasn't i just wasn't super into it and then he goes on after that to produce or executive produce terminator salvation in 2009 and that more or less is the the end of andy vanya's film career but 
it doesn't feel again like C2 films, which you know he worked with in those last few years, really made the stamp that I think he probably would have liked. Like I feel like you know it's interesting. I I don't know if he was ever satisfied with what Carolco had done. Like I think he's he was happy with it and it was successful. But he also saw the limits of it and wanted something maybe bigger. And I just don't think he ever quite got that. Like, it seems with Synergy, he wanted to do something a little different. And it kind of doesn't work out that spectacularly. And C2, I mean, C2 is really only noteworthy for Terminator films. And, I mean, for him, this movie Children of Glory, which really didn't get a lot of attention, you know, on our shores at least. And after 2009, uh, I mean, you mentioned him going back to Hungary. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he maybe maybe he was disillusioned. I don't know. Maybe he was just tired of the film industry. But he was a, he's a very famous person in in Hungary right. itself, and he was pretty closely tied to the uh, Orban government. And so there's a little bit of controversy around him after he produces Terminator Salvation, and he owned a, a you know a state monopoly on some casinos he owned i mean depending on what source you read two to five casinos this guy's amazing <laughs> yeah he um he owned or uh had rights to quite a bit of the state funding for uh the the hungarian tv uh station there the the state sponsored television uh that apparently is quite supportive of the government but you know, when you're getting five times the funding as anyone else, you probably want to be supportive of the government that's sure. giving you that money. Um, although, it, probably not a feather in the cap of independent journalism. <laughs> yeah, so so during during this time, he's involved with the... He's involved in his native Hungary, and around 2011, actually gets directly involved in the Hungarian film industry... And becomes the uh, the film commissioner, where he's responsible for the development of the the Hungarian industry, which he was again remarkably successful at. Yeah, for sure, because he kind of got them a lot of attention on North American shores and with the Academy under his kind of tutelage. The Hungarian film industry produced the movie Son of Saul, which won the foreign film Oscar a couple of years ago. It is an absolutely amazing movie. It's all kind of done first-person perspective, and it's a Holocaust film, and it is absolutely incredible and haunting. Once you see it, you'll never forget it, but props to him for, you know, at least um, putting himself in a position to kind of empower Hungary as like a film center and that could produce work that was worthy of being seen on the world stage. Yeah, absolutely, and that's carried forward, and I think... Uh probably directly due to Andy Vanya. I mean, we're seeing a lot of stuff being produced in Hungary. And and that's the kind of thing to have uh, serious film production switch to a country like that. I mean, obviously, you have to be knowledgeable and connected enough to get the appropriate tax breaks and financing and that kind of thing to make that happen, which he obviously is. Mm -hmm. uh, but also just to have the ability to directly or indirectly develop that industry and develop the talent to be there to make those movies yeah. is uh, really quite a legacy. Yeah. In fact, it's just been announced at least, well, I shouldn't say it's just been announced. At the time we're recording this, it's just been announced. It's probably going to be a, a few weeks delayed by the time you actually listen to this. Um, the new Terminator movie, Terminator 6, Dark Fate. That's the working title. Working title, yeah. Um, I mean, that's being filmed largely in Hungary, and and I've got to believe that that's 
primarily due to the influence that Vanya has had uh, on the Terminator franchise and on Hungarian cinema and Hungarian film production. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm curious, you know, he, he passed away, you know, after a, quite a long illness uh, very recently. When you look back at Vanya, what do you think the connection with Arnold is? Like, how strong do you think it? Do you think it is? You know, what opportunities do you think he offered Arnold that really led to Arnold being the icon he is now? Do you think he had a significant impact? Well, you got to wonder. I mean, would a movie like Total Recall, which is one of those movies that I think, I mean, Schwarzenegger was already a huge star. Yeah. But. I mean, that's a that's a movie that cements him as a cinema icon, right? right. Or one of them. Yeah. Uh, is that the kind of movie that gets made by a big studio in 1990? Or is that the kind of thing where you need to have basically a big budget independent film buff mm-hmm. uh, driving the production of that? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird movie. It is very weird. And I even got to give some points for Red uh, Red Heat, just in the sense of, like, you know, that's a movie that, you know, uh, Walter Hill's a really cool director, and he's done a number of things at that point, like, you know, The Warriors. Um, and so I give, you know, Vanya points for making a star vehicle around Arnold at a point where Arnold isn't quite a movie star. It's like the Terminator has broken him through, but, like, you know... Raw Deal wasn't that big a hit. And then, you know, Red Heat is there, and they see the potential in Arnold and are teaming him up with a really strong filmmaker. And I think you see that whenever Arnold works with uh, Carol Coe and then Vanya as well, by extension, um, he's working with strong filmmakers who know how to use him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting, with maybe the exception being um, Terminator uh, Rise of the Machines. But I think even Jonathan Mostow is fine. He just doesn't have that sort of a tour ability that you know Cameron obviously did with T2 or uh, Verhoeven did with Total Recall but I think it's interesting that you know they were looking at filmmakers like Verhoeven and Cameron and being like these guys bring something to the table most don't even like you know the movie I referenced earlier like it's not a Schwarzenegger film but like Nixon they're saying yeah Oliver Stone make us a three plus hour Nixon film Vanya was willing to roll the, the dice on projects that were filmmaker driven and i think that's something that's easy to overlook but when you really look at the landscape of films now and how many of these big blockbusters are entirely studio run or property run where the directors are kind of guns for hire a Mm -hmm. lot of the time someone like vanya who's finding interesting talent and attaching them to films that are a little odd or a little cool or just outside the norm of studio work uh, you know, the types of things you'd see coming out of Fox or Warner Brothers or whatever, I think that's kind of invaluable, even in, even when they didn't work. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I think that if there is a, an indication of the legacy that Andy Vine has left behind, it's how well-respected he was by, by his collaborators. So shortly following his death, um, several several people who'd worked with him in the past set out their condolences or their praises for Andy Vanya after. Uh, I went through a bunch of them. I, I think two of them uh, really stood out. One was James Cameron, mm-hmm. who uh, said, Vanya was a great friend and collaborator. He believed in me on one of my toughest shoots, Terminator 2. I will miss him, his humor, his class, and his style, but especially the motorcycle rides. So <laughs> gives you a sense that, you know, uh, 
Hollywood was <laughs> I, I have this idea of these film producers and directors just kind of bombing around on motorcycles smoking yeah, yeah, cigars yeah. I'm fascinated that James Cameron says that was one of his toughest shoots yeah well, although, when you hear the stories about Titanic or uh, or aliens uh, I'm kind of shocked he says T2 was one of his toughest to- totally and then what Arnold says is Andy Vanya was a dear friend and revolutionary force in Hollywood he proved that you don't need studios to make huge movies like Terminator 2 or Total Recall. He had a huge heart, and he was one of the most generous guys around. I'll miss him. My thoughts are with his family. So um, there's you know, two of the, the biggest stars or the biggest names in Hollywood action history, uh, still years after their collaboration, singing his praises. Uh, it does raise some questions, which we touched on earlier, about how involved he was in Terminator 2. Yeah. But I, I think that that's uh, an indication of the influence that he had on the uh, on these people and on the industry generally. I'm actually really intrigued by, you know, Schwarzenegger talking about how generous he is. Because that's not a word you usually hear attached to big Hollywood moguls. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't speak to that. I just I pull it off Twitter. If no, I'm no, I, I, I believe Arnold said it, but I just think that's really fascinating. Because, you know, generally these, these moguls, you don't tend to hear people say, they were so generous. And I think that's really fascinating. And, I mean, Andy G. Vanya is not as well known as your Joel Silvers or, you know, some of these other mega producers, the Bruckheimers of the world. And I think it's interesting that um, he's someone that definitely was probably ruthless in, in a business sense, but seemed to have fostered very, like, positive relationships with a lot of his talent yeah i i I mean at the time of his death uh forbes reported that he was the 18th richest man in hungary yeah and and i don't think you crack the top 20 uh especially if you're coming from a relatively modest background definitely not uh, without having a little bit of a hard-nosed business sense no way you're not the number one wig maker around without that i think it's interesting though because james cameron is such a notoriously tough presence as well that he's like yeah we had a great time together we got along like you know like old buddies yeah well everyone everyone's equal when you're you know you got uh two wheels and a leather seat between your legs right <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question for you gun to your head what are your three favorite andy vanya films well uh, with the gun to my head it's uh, because i let's don't let's exclude the arnold schwarzenegger ones because i think you know t2 and total recall are so big that I think you're automatically going to be like, well, there's two of them right there. Oh, that's that's a that's a tough one. You don't um, have to put them in an order. <laughs> well, without the Arnold ones, uh, I'd have to say the three Rambo movies with an honorable mention to Tombstone and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, okay. So I mean, I'm focusing on the action movies here, but... Uh, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I would probably say... Uh, I really do love those first two Rambo movies. I just, <laughs> I love them so much. So the third one I'm less big on than the than the first two. But so I would say the first two Rambos and probably Die Hard with a Vengeance. But I'd have to also really tip my hat to like Angel Heart and uh, Jacob's Ladder. I think Jacob's Ladder is really good as well. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and I mean, of course, Rambo 3 is a guilty pleasure, if anything, because uh, <laughs> I, I really do enjoy that one. If it was any of a, if it was any guiltier of a pleasure, it would have uh, face tattoos and an orange jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I have a lot of respect for Nixon and Evita, even though they didn't quite connect with me as sure, much as I wish sure. they had of. But no, he's a, he led a fascinating life. Um, 
And uh, his story is definitely one worth reading about, I think, if you would like to know more about him. Uh, because we always look at the characters like your Arnolds or your Stallones and kind of think of them as guiding their own careers. But a lot of it depended on these guys like Andy Vanya to give them the opportunities that allowed them to succeed and to kind of foster that creative you know, world for them to thrive within. And so, yeah, he's a really interesting figure, and I look forward to tackling more of Arnold's collaborators further down the road, because I think we're going to see a lot of interesting stories out of these guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to it. If if there is uh, a silver lining to uh, Andy Vanya's passing, it's that we got to learn more about him and as maybe... Uh, encouraged us to look a little bit more behind the scenes of uh, Schwarzenegger's career and and some of the people he worked with. And I might check out Children of Glory because it sounds really interesting, and he seems very passionate about it, or he was, you know, while he was alive. Yeah, doing the research for this episode, I definitely just want to go and watch Andy Vanya films. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so I think that wraps up our exploration of the work of Andrew G. Vanya. So Tony, what are we doing next time? Well, we're taking another trip down Expendable Lane. <laughs> the final trip, question mark? Yeah, uh, exclamation point. <laughs> um, and we're going to be watching Expendables 3, uh, Kelsey Grammer's big introduction to the franchise. It's over two hours long. Uh, it's, oh, is that all? Yeah. I, thought, <laughs> I, I haven't watched this movie since it came out in theaters. Uh, I'm actually eager to, to see it again. I was surprisingly entertained. Uh, by the first two Expendables movies, even though I won't go so far as to say they, they should have statuettes on their mantles. Right. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I'm curious to revisit it because my memories of it in theaters are kind of vague, but I remember thinking Mel Gibson was kind of cool in it, like he gave a good villain performance. So I'm intrigued to see, you know, the Expendable franchise just in general was not that interesting to me to revisit when we started this podcast. And I've actually really enjoyed revisiting one and two. So I'm just curious what three will deliver. Yeah, totally. I mean, the first two were tons of fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they were the, the greatest cinematic achievements of all time, but uh, they're super fun. So uh, we're going to go back to the usual format next week. And hopefully, uh, if you haven't done so already, you'll pick up Expendables 3 and watch it so that we don't ruin the whole movie for you. Uh, or or you'll rewatch it. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, leave us a review on Overcast or Stitcher or iTunes or any of your podcast platforms. They help us out so much with rankings and all that sort of stuff. They make us popular people, and we just want to be popular. Yeah, we need it badly. We, we need it. You know, I, I had a rough I had a rough high school. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never go toe to toe with the Andy Vinyas of the world without reviews. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can also, of course. Reach us on Twitter at ArnieGeddonPod, as well as email us at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at CamViazinVanya, Smith. You can you can find me, Tony G, that's Tony like the name, G like the letter, at ArnieGeddon.com. Okay, so we'll be back with Expendables 3. <laughs>